Hello and welcome to the second edition of the CCYR Ratings Radar podcast. My name is Richard Lander I'm, and I'm here to welcome you to a very special edition of the podcast which covers the most extraordinary period uh, covered by the, our CCYR Fund Manager Ratings since they started way back in 2002. Uh, just in case you need reminding, March was the month when the financial markets went into total meltdown as the financial and economic consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic hit home. To crunch some numbers, world equities fell about 17% over the month, having been 25% lower at one point. And on March the 16th, the Monday, we saw Wall Street's third worst day in history, with the S&P 500 down 12% on that day alone. Only 1987 and 1929 have been worse. Fixed income also bore the brunt. The high yield index dropped 13% over the month and investment grade 7%. Again, both indexes were far lower at one point before the Fed and other central banks stepped in with extraordinary buying measures. So that much we all know. What only the CityWire fund manager ratings can tell us is which managers in which sectors at least beat their benchmarks, even if they couldn't do the nigh on impossible and produce positive returns. Here to sift through the data with me are CityWire's two estimable researchers, Frank Talbot and Nisha Long, and we're also joined by Angus Foote, our international director who spends his days hearing what the top fund managers are making all of this. So welcome everybody, thank you for joining us. Nisha, I'm going to start with you. What, what stands out for you in this amazing time? Thanks Richard. Well, the ratings this month, as you know, reveal the scale of the economic damage um, caused by this pandemic, and especially last month. And bonds in particular, as you mentioned, have suffered the most um, in global usage alone, there was about 116 billion euros of outflows compared to 46 billion in equities from active funds. Now, and what this has meant is um, the US dollar bond managers have suffered the most in this ratings cut, whether that was in short, medium or long term uh, bonds. Um, so just to put this in a bit of context with numbers, 189 managers in US dollar bonds, the asset class, have lost their rating and 15 have lost their AAA rating and have gone to no rating at all. Um, okay, just, yeah. just focus on that, to go from AAA to absolutely nothing. What, what has to happen? That sounds extraordinary. Yeah, an absolute drop in their March performance numbers. So they're lo losing a good month at the beginning of their 36-month period where markets were great last year, well, three years ago, but then the March, this pandemic comes along and the markets have crashed quite a bit, especially in the US market. So for them to lose a lot against their benchmark has caused them to you know, lose their rating completely. Um, and this is an, on a, the back of many um, things. Um, for one, I think Fre Frank, you um, come into this one with the Fed actions, um, first of all, um, you know, have an impact on these portfolios. Frank, yeah, I mean, there was, there, was, there was definitely that stage when the, uh, the bond markets weren't behaving rationally, you know, there was, there was signs that maybe some, um, some lack of functioning there. And I think that possibly made people force sellers of uh, parts of the market, maybe they didn't want to sell at, you know, maybe it was high yield. I also think it's, you know, product of how long the, the cycle went on for and the fact that fixed income managers in order to find the yield went to parts of the market that uh, they probably wouldn't have or possibly didn't know as well. And what is comfortable owning, you know, high yield, whatever it was, down the credit quality spectrum, and they were hit by this. But obviously, to swing from AAA to, to nothing suggests, you know, all manner of factors, you know, really went into that. Um, I think, yeah, it's, uh, 
it's very yeah. rare that that would happen. It, it definitely is. And I think it, it wasn't helped at all as well because um, some of these manager, managers are investment grade managers. So as um, Frank mentioned before about forced selling as well, you have these, um, also high, these bonds, which are the fallen angels, as I mentioned in the last um, podcast and high yield, you know, these have been downgraded by Fitch and SMP, the ratings agencies. So in effect, investment grade managers having to be forced sellers of those bonds as well, because it doesn't meet their criteria anymore. So for selling across the market, but also because their strategy has to remain true to what they're actually investing in. So, I mean, a lot of people have said that the rating agencies such as Fitch and S&P were too quick to downgrade some companies. And I think this is also having a knock-on effect on these portfolios. A lot of that is, uh, is just reaction to how much they got their wrists slapped in 2008 for being too friendly with the banks and not moving as quickly as they perhaps should have. And, uh, and now they're rearranging it and, and these portfolios are having to liquidate, you know, triple B positions they wouldn't otherwise have um, in order to stay within the thresholds that, that they're comfortable with. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, March was obviously a fairly shocking month in the markets generally, but I, I, I'm always uncomfortable or a little uncomfortable at least focusing on on short-term numbers or talking about short-term numbers the professional investors that, that i talk to are always bemoaning um the tendency for people to focus on short-term figures uh, when really investment should be about you know long-term time horizons and I, i've always uh, totally agreed with that position um, but I, I i think having said that given the circumstances there are sig significance in these short-term numbers aren't there because such a dramatic shift the, the, the shifts on the scale that we've seen in some in some managers performance can be extremely difficult to reverse mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but I do think we should take into account three things when we look at um, particularly what's happened to bond managers the mixture of negatives and positives I suppose uh, firstly this is a sort of once in a lifetime event in the bond market I think or at least a once in a generation you know I've, I've never seen anything like it well I, let's hope so anyway well absolutely yeah. that's, that's, that's an assumption there isn't there but in terms of what we've seen so far I mean we've never seen anything quite like this before um, secondly these figures aren't going to include the effect of the latest Fed action um, so the corporate bonds. Yeah. 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 Oh. So that's going to, that's going to come through next time around. And, and then thirdly, there's the fact, you know, people have been saying for a while that the search for yield, which everybody talked about for so long, um, it did at times mean that people took a less rigorous view on credit quality. And that's, mm. that's, people were saying that would have consequences and these are the consequences. Yeah. But, yeah. but Angus, just to come back to your point about the CEO's, CIOs, your CIOs, if you like, talking about investing for the long term. Now, Nisha's nice just mentioned that there are massive withdrawals. Presumably, some of your the people you speak to are doing well, this withdrawal. Yeah, I mean, they obviously, so those CIOs obviously have end clients that they have to deal with. And they, you know, they, one of the things that they said to us two or three weeks ago when, when all of this started, they said that some of the most difficult conversations they were having were with their clients who were panicked by the situation and they were having to say to their clients, look, are you a long-term investor or not? If, if you're not able to, to cope with any kind of drawdown, then actually, you know, you, you're, what you say your strategy is, is not in line with what you're now asking me to do. Uh, but that's an extremely difficult conversation to have, mm. isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, and yeah. So the whole thing feeds through from worried clients through the CIOs 
who are placing sales orders. The fund managers then got to sell. They're going to sell the most liquid stuff sometimes. Uh, the illiquid stuff gets dumped at awful prices, at least until the Fed started to set in this month. So it's a chain reaction from one end. Yeah to the other i mean one other angle as well from it is um so bank of america and uh, they had a report out recently so they're saying that the cash levels among global portfolio managers will hit heights not seen um since 9 11. so you, you're not just having the four sellers but you're also having them selling out just to have the cash and not seeing any value in the bond market so you have that other aspect as well which you know as i said it's, it's not it's unprecedented you know to have all of these in a chain reaction all happening at the same time yeah, I mean, you had a situation where, you know, for a while in mid-March, no one was, everyone, you know, everybody was selling everything and buying nothing. I mean, yeah, some of the money went into gold. Uh, but, you know, people weren't in, even buying treasuries at some point, were they? They just wanted the cash in the bank. Uh, and just in case they had to fulfill commitments on on you know, spending, even redundancy programs or whatever. They were just getting out of the market completely. We're probably past that, at least we hope so, but who knows what's going to happen next. Frank, can I bring you in to talk a bit about interesting stuff in equities? Yeah, so I think a lot of the attention uh, in the past month, certainly in March, again, it's a short-term time frame, is the, the resilience of, of technology. I spoke about that last week, you know, they're increasing their stranglehold on, on our lives. <laughs> good and, and bad ways um and also healthcare obviously the the race for the vaccine is um is a big one but angus was talking about this but before we started and there's possibly going to be a, a generational shift in our attitudes to to healthcare and, and drugs and certainly the amount of stockpiling we're going to do is uh, quite significant if all of us buy two extra packs of paracetamol that's a big effect and you know that that for every drug you don't know when the, the next dark day is coming and obviously protecting ourselves against the next pandemic. So those asset classes, or rather those sectors, did the best. You know, since market peak February 19th to uh, close the business yesterday, April 16th, when we're recording this, um, healthcare equities are down 6.2%. Global tech is down 8.9%. You know, and that compares to the global equity index, which is off 19%. So those are really resilient numbers. Uh, everyone's focusing on uh, everyone's focusing on, on the on the two darlings here, Netflix. Netflix is up 13.3% uh, in that time frame. Amazon is really on a charge, up 11.7%, of which 27% of that has come since the, the, the recent trough, March 23rd, 26.5% in just uh, a few, three weeks or so. Okay, so which managers, or you know, what's the, how have managers performed in, in, the, in these sectors? Yeah, so um, yeah, some thing is, not particularly well. I mean, in terms of percentage of fund managers outperforming, it hasn't been great news. You know, pharmaceuticals, just 22.4% of the um, 143 managers we were tracking in the month outperformed. In technology, 35.2%. But within tech, you know, it's been some of the names that people like to recommend uh, that have done well. Polar Capital's $3.6 billion global tech fund managed by uh, C2A rated Nick Evans, Ben Rogoff and team. Apologies to the rest of the team, didn't mention you. Um, and that helps because they, they've, they've had two of those big two. Amazon was a 3% position going into the month and Netflix was 1.7%. And as I said, really easy fund to recommend during this astonishing bull market of technology over the past decade. And, and they've continued to do the business, added 2% above the falling market in March, you know, down 
pretty impressive numbers, you know, and, and they were overweight the two parts you wanted to be at the moment, internet retail and software, you know, the two areas that are experiencing the most growth in demand um, yeah. and, and stand, stand to benefit really well when we come out of this. I think one of the things noticeable in the recent recovery is how narrow it is that, uh, you know, the S&P 500 has outperformed the equally weighted S&P. Uh, and indeed, there's this FANG plus index in the States, which is the usual suspects plus five others, which has just gone sky high yes, uh, it's, ahead of the others. It's definitely, um, it's definitely super, super narrow. There's also on the, on the tech front, sorry, Richard. Oh, um, carry on. Axel one billion global tech fund, drawn by Jeremy Gleason, not rated at the moment, but you know, in a similar vein to Polar Capital, has had a great decade. You know, is one of those funds where lots of people are going to be parking their money. Um, it was three percent above the index in the mar- in the month. Um, those two combined are probably the most popular USITs tech funds. You know, pure tech plays. Uh, also, a good month for J.P. Morgan's double uh, A rated Joseph Wilson and Timothy Parton on the J.P.M. U.S. Technology Fund. It's a much smaller fund. It's about thirty million dollars. Um, but that restricted losses to 6.2% uh, in the month. So both of those did uh, did really pretty well. Pretty good. One of our colleagues in uh, one of our colleagues in in our new New York office was making the point yesterday that um, if you look at the stocks which led the market in in the in the bull run prior to the crash, it's actually the same stocks that are that are holding up well. It's those you know those big fang stocks, Amazon all the rest of them yeah. which is I which mean, is kind of unusual because usually the stocks which lead the bull market are the ones which take a pounding if you get a crash well yeah, absolutely those are how robust um, these companies really are because everyone was talking about the bubble ter- territory in these tech stocks but actually what they've come out pretty strong in this but i think also it's because of the work from home situation so amazon for example um i think a couple of colleagues were also saying they've never used amazon before and now to get things delivered to them and to you know find what they need they started to you know subscribe to amazon and also netflix for example you know everyone's going on it i know a lot of my family have suddenly bought subscriptions to netflix so you know you can see just in your own home you know and friends and family that how these companies are taking over people's lives but do you think oh, that will yes. do you think that will reverse Nisha afterwards? Do you see yourself using Amazon less when we come out of this? Because I don't. No, see I think my... I might be using it more because, um, just to put my mum for example, she was very um, well didn't want to use Amazon whatsoever. And now she absolutely loves it, and she's trying to buy the whole Amazon yeah. store. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she absolutely loves you know how easy it is. But it's just you know, especially maybe the older generation who haven't used it before. I think it will continue. And they'll just see, you know, that technology does help, you know, mm-hmm. in everyday life. I think, a, I think a big reason here is actually just the uh, is the cash reserves that some of these massive yeah. tech companies have built up, and that's what you need at the moment. You know, Apple might not be shifting the same amount of units as it once was, but you know, it's got cash reserves that make most of the countries in the world look pretty <laughs> irrelevant, and, and and that's enabling it to weather and increase its its stranglehold on the market. There are going to be losers. You can just see them just scooping up market share after this. And actually, well, that what, you- that's really pronounced. Sorry, Angus, it's really pronounced when you compare the fangs to the bats. So the bats, you know, the, the Chinese-based tech companies, Tencent, Alibaba, Badu, they haven't had the time in the spotlight to build up similar levels of cash, and they haven't performed as strongly. Chinese equity index is actually quite robust in the month, down 10% uh, from the, sorry, in the sell-off versus you know similar 25% in the S&P 500 when, when things were really bad. 
but um, bats have underperformed that. You know, they haven't really generated the returns that you might expect. Um, and I think that's that's part of it. Alibaba looks like a probably quite a good buy, down 5%. And you compare that to Amazon um, with a similar business model, it's up 12%. You know, a lot of that's probably the cash. When you consider that the China, China's now back on, the wheels are turning again in that economy. You know, people it's, are buying it. It's not it's not Europeans who buy Alibaba stuff. It is pretty much no, It's interesting. I'm Sorry. just going to pick up on your point, Frank, that there will be losers because that takes us back to the bond sector again, doesn't it? Because it's the, it's, it's the fact that there will be losers and the fear that those losers will be defaulting that is, uh, that is driving that, that mayhem in the bond market, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it, it's not all doom and gloom in the bond market either. Um, in this month's ratings, I think, well, convertible bond managers, so they're equity-like proxies. Um, they have the protection on the downside with bonds, but obviously can take um, participate in upside rallies as well by having that, you know, having the option to call um, their equities. Um, looking at the figures for March, um, US and global convertible managers, so 88% um, actually outperformed their benchmarks for the ones that we track in March which is, you know, for them, you know, it is a positive. So you have, they had the downside protection, so not losing as much as the markets, but also capturing some upside um, as well. Just want to mention one manager here. I've been tracking him for quite a while now, is Arno Brewer, And he has gone up in the ratings um, to a double A this month for a three-year risk-adjusted performance. So he manages European and global convertible bond funds. Um, and he has actually, yeah, he's gone up in the ratings due to this. And he has had some downside protection and losing less in the markets. Right. Okay. Angus, is, is that the second week in a row that your phone has it's gone no, off? It's, it's so annoying because it only ever happens on this call. <laughs> what, you mean no, no one calls you the rest of the week? That's yeah. the only two times that phone has rung in the last fortnight. Sure, sure. Actually, so again, on, on a good, good news, not, not your phone ringing, which obviously is great news for you. Congratulations. It's also yeah, uh, on the fixed income side. Is, uh, is, is high yield was pretty good in the month. You know, the high yield sectors around sort of 60% uh, of managers adding value above the falling index. And that a big part of that might be the fact that energy companies are such a large position in these indices, you know, the high yield indices. And, uh, and it's been an area, particularly in the US, that you would have wanted to avoid for quite some time. And um, I think, you know, underweight there would have, would have been a, a huge help. Coming back to the equity side, though, um, I, I mentioned healthcare at the beginning, and a couple of names really stood out. Erin um, Shee at BlackRock, who runs the World Health Sciences and the Health Sciences Opportunities Fund in the US. A-rated manager, you know, outperforming the falling market again in the month. She's probably been the most consistent uh, healthcare manager in the world for, for about five years now. And someone else, the... Uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but Finney Karuvula on the Eventide Healthcare and Life Sciences Fund, again, outperforming the falling index by about a percent on yeah. the month. I just want to come back to Erin Shi actually. Um, so she invests in the likes of Roche, um, AstraZeneca and Abbott Laboratories as well, which has developed just to bring it to the pandemic. Um, she, they've developed a rapid testing COVID-19 kit, which gives um, results in less than five minutes. And their share price is back to where it was um, at the beginning of the year. So her fund in Q1 alone took 1.4 billion euros. And that's because she's, you know, they have got these kind of companies in the portfolio. They're trying to, you know, people trying to take advantage of this um, crisis. Um, but 
it reached a low, the Abbott Laboratories, at $62 a share on the 23rd of March, but now it's back up at $91 uh, as of 15th of April. So you can see that these kind of stocks are really propelling her figures in her portfolio. And we should see that coming through in this April figures as well. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, maybe it's something to look at next week, but, uh, you know, shares in Gilead were up... Uh, they're 11% overnight in the yeah, aftermarket. Took, took, took a look at Gilead just before I came on the, the call, yeah. actually. And um, you, you've got the, the biotech names, Pictet, Allianz, AXA. They've all got healthy stakes in this. Obviously, the, the biotech ETFs as well. There are some value funds in the US with, with healthy stakes towards Gilead. I think we'll be writing a piece which will go out on, on some websites of ours uh, later today. Um, so you should have seen it by the time you hear this podcast. So give, give that one a look. Okay. There are certain, there's certainly some people with it. I mean, let's we're, we're coming to, to the end here, and maybe you mentioned value there, Frank. I mean, and for however how many years, three, five years, now's the time for value, now's the time for value. Uh, you know, we've got a piece on our American site. Uh, Rob Arnott of Research Affiliates say he still believes in value. There's a video there. I haven't looked at it yet. I'm just looking at the headline. I mean, you know, is this another false dawn for value uh, or or... Is it something more? Robert, I mean, Rob Arnott and uh, his research affiliates obviously has got that tie up with Pimco in the US. Uh, they've taken a lot of money in March. Some of those value products, really, investors really piling in, think it's, it's gone too far now. There are some good options available. Um, but, you know, from, from the, the, the Nadir March 23rd, it looked like actually value was having a really good run. But as you said, that kind of the FANG stocks have really just propelled um the growth index and now FTSE 100 growth is has rallied by 27 percent and uh and value is uh, is down is up by 24 percent you know uh, since uh, since markets bottomed and again just the stronger getting stronger again yeah so, you might just have a couple maybe a couple of more months um left in it but i think yeah, the growth is just yeah it's powering through all those dividend stocks are now value as well. We haven't really talked about income. We can pick that up possibly next uh, next week. But um, our performance rates in income vary across the globe, depending on how heavily uh, equity markets are weighted towards uh, energy companies. And, you know, the right. big yielders, particularly here in the UK, um, whereas in the US, you've got a, a more diverse income pool. Uh, and, uh, and that's been a big difference. Obviously, we're so commodity weighted in the UK. Don't want to make this too UK versus other equity markets. All right. Good. Well, maybe uh, maybe income and the death of dividends, something for next week, because uh, I think we could be here all day. There's so much in this data, but I think we're going to wrap up there. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be looking at the March data in more detail, looking at some different sectors. Uh, and if you haven't yet subscribed to the Ratings Radar monthly newsletter, uh, I've just got one question for you. Why not? Because it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, just drop us a line to ratingsradar at citywire.co.uk and we will do the rest and make sure you're on there. Uh, so until then, from Angus, Frank, Nisha and myself, uh, we wish you a very good week and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. 